Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Brawn Body Podcast. Today, this week, we're joined by Dr. Kevin Freitas. Kevin is a physical therapist, doctor of physical therapy, and he's certified in neurology through the American Board of Physical Therapy Specialties. He's got extensive experience working with patients in neurological rehab settings, home health, and so much more. We're going to hear all about that today. And I got to know him through, uh, he helps instruct neuromuscular physical therapy at my college, uh, Lebanon Valley College in uh, Pennsylvania. So with that, Kevin, welcome to the show. Excited to have you. Uh, thank you so much for having me. So you've kind of, we've talked on and off different times and you've told me about your journey through PT school and you've kind of jokingly said you weren't always the best student, but I kind of find that hard to believe because you always have these really cool like memory tricks and unique ways to uh, remember things. I still remember your little trick for remembering uh, cranial nerve three and how it's kind of like pillars that hold up the eye. Uh, and I just find everything you've kind of taught us very ingenious and I really like it. So how are you able to kind of learn content and optimize your learning strategies when you're in uh, physical therapy school? Well, I, I that's just it. I, I, I wasn't very good at it. Um, and it was through developing just associations and, and um, you know, it was a lot of memorization to be honest. Well, as you know, um, and you know, it's not, it's not the, the most optimal learning because there's such a volume of information that oftentimes students, they just have to memorize so much, spit it out and then make room for the next set of information. Um, uh, so it, it was a struggle for me, you know, I'll, I'll be very honest with that. Um, and, but I feel like I didn't really start learning until after PT school, uh, when uh, this drive or passion or motivation for what it is we do really kind of kicked into the next gear. Right, right. So kind of once you got your feet wet, so to speak, and got the more hands-on experience, you kind of got to start applying those soft skills, I'll call them, that you learned in uh, physical therapy school. You get the book knowledge there but you don't actually get as much of the hands-on practice with uh, patients that you want to work with. You know, at that point, most people that you're working on uh, in, uh, in school, most people are pretty healthy, pretty good shape for the most part. You don't often see someone in PT school who's got, you know, radiculopathy, nerve pain, or um, different kind of neurological disorders um, like Alzheimer's, dementia, Parkinson's, that sort of thing. Um, so no, I think that makes a lot of sense, kind of getting the more hands-on approach to things. Um, it, and that's not to take anything away from, you know, what the professors are trying to do. They, they do an excellent job, an amazing job. Right. Uh, there's just so much information. It's, it's hard to, to convey it all in such a short period of time. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. Uh, with that too, you right now you kind of specialize, I like to say you specialize anyways, in neurological disorders and treating patients who have neurological problems. Uh, I know you didn't necessarily start there per se. So can you kind of talk a little bit about your journey from graduating PT school to where you currently are? Uh, yeah, so I, um, 
started out in pediatrics. I did uh, um, pediatrics for three years, uh, then did a little work at a nursing home for about five years, um, did some management after that, was really, really bad uh, in management. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I was lucky enough to um, find a position in a rehabilitation setting. So basically what that means is that, you know, someone um, either is in a car accident or has an exacerbation of their MS or something happens to them and they can't quite go home yet. So they come to our setting uh, for a few weeks and get stronger or healthier and then they're able to go home, hopefully, or sometimes they'll go to an assisted living or other places. Um, So, and and, uh, once at this setting, um, you know, I I learned so much at at every setting and and I've taken that with me. Um, However, uh, this most recent rehab setting is really where I feel as if I had a, a chance to really expand what it is that I, I'm fortunate enough to get to do. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you kind of talk about how you started out in peds and then home health and then kind of transitioned into more a neurological physical therapy setting. What ultimately made you decide on going into neuro? Was that something you were kind of interested in different times? Or, you know, was that just kind of what was available? What was convenient? You got into it and decided, you know what, I actually really enjoy this. That's a little tricky for me to answer. um, Because I don't, you know, that's nothing to take away from the orthopedic specialties. But I just found personally, something clicked. And uh, I just love seeing uh, this population get better and being able to help. Right. And I mean, that's kind of the, I, I like to say inspirational kind of stories that, you know, you'll see them in the news or social media different times. Someone who starts off after an injury and they might not be able to walk. They might not be able to use half of their body. And through a lot of hard work and persistence and dedication from both the patient and their treatment team, eventually they get to return most of the time to a decent level of function. They can go home and they can be independent, which for someone who kind of lost all that ability to regain it is uh, it, there's something kind of magical about it for lack of a better way to put it. Um, And it's something that not every kind of specialty can do. It's kind of unique about physical therapy. You can't just give someone a pharmaceutical to make them get up and go walk again after you know a month or two there's a lot of other pieces to the puzzle and i think physical therapy and neurological physical therapy kind of creates that unique area to help patients in ways that a lot of other specialties can't those other specialties are still great and they're essential to the whole process but at the same time one of them alone i don't think can make the same functional difference uh, on a specific patient. Yeah, all of the different specialties surely have their place. Um, but, you know, neurological PT um, is really the one that clicked for me. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, so kind of within your career in neurologics, um, what has that kind of taught you about yourself and kind of maybe life as a whole 
You know, a lot of times when we're working with patients or just throughout our everyday life in the new setting, we kind of get to see who we are and pick up different perspectives and different life experiences. Uh, what have you learned so far from your time working with patients with neurological disorders? That's a great question. Um, I think one of the things I learned was that uh, you got to work hard. Mm -hmm. Now, if it's, it's really not fair for someone who has a disorder, for me to expect them to work hard um, because you know that's how they're going to get better and to not have me work hard myself right um, so um you know you got to work um and and i and and when it's something you love uh you don't you don't mind putting the time and the effort in mm -hmm. uh, so it taught yeah to answer your question it, it really taught me that i need to start working harder uh, so that's what I did. Yeah. And when you say work harder, do you mean work harder on the uh, front end, as in like kind of doing more research and more reading and different things like that to kind of prepare yourself for a therapy session? Or do you mean more on the back end? Uh, so maybe like after the session, reaching out to different uh people that you have in your network and kind of talking about the patient, asking for advice, seeing what you can do, uh, do differently, kind of learning through that, or maybe a little mix of both. Uh, definitely a mix of both. So um, for a number of years, uh, other than, you know, uh, a movie here or there, I, I didn't really watch TV a whole lot. I was just um, reading like crazy, mm -hmm. um, uh, reading, um, um, talking about different cases with a mentor. Um, I, I did just so much of that. And then, uh, and then, you know, a, a big part of it was like reflecting on things because uh, looking back and reviewing things and where I could have done better, or, um, that really helped me as well because, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, Sorry if I'm losing my place. You're good. You're another good. addict. Uh, let, let me start over. You know, there's a couple of things that, that really helped me, a, a mix of both for sure. Um, um, reading just a ton. There was a couple of years where, you know, I, I really didn't watch TV other than, you know, a, a movie here or there. Um, just reading and reading uh, because I, I got curious about stuff. Um, and I'd, I'd have this question in my head and, and I'd try and whether it was through a textbook or a, a journal article or, you know, Google, I was just trying to find that answer. And, uh, and then getting a mentor really helped as well. Uh, every, every place I went, I, I kind of found someone who was willing to help me. And I, just that discussion um, really helped me a lot uh, to, to problem solve and think of things in a new way. Mm -hmm. um, so those were the main things. You know, another thing that really helped him was just experimenting with different ideas. Uh, how can I get this job done? Whether it's the way it typically gets done or, you know, maybe a way that hasn't been done before. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm still learning from my coworkers. Um, you know, there's something that we do at work that um, we do so much different now just because someone had an idea. 
Um, and I, I stole that idea from them as quick as I could because it was a great idea. So just constantly learning, uh, reading and talking to people just to get all the info I can. No, for sure. And uh, I remember back kind of when we were in the semester, that was a point that you kind of honed in on a lot of the time is, you know, we're currently showing you one or two ways to get the job done. But if you're in an inpatient rehab setting or a hospital, something along those lines, you're going to be surrounded by people who work with this patient population on a regular basis, whether it's nurses, doctors, occupational therapy. So, you know, I think it's good to kind of be able to say, look, I know I don't know everything. So I'm just going to ask around, see what some other people do, because after all, there's a thousand ways to skin a cat. So you might as well pick up a couple different ways and kind of see what works best for you based on that. Um, I'll, I'll let you add to that. Well, absolutely. What works best for you, as well as those who you're, you know, the patients you're working with. Um, you know, that, that discussion is, is so, so important. And, you know, the other, the other aspect to that too, is that, you know, if, uh, if, and when uh, people do find a mentor, um, you know, it's imperative that at some point you turn that around and that you're the mentor for someone else. Yeah. Yep. Start to give back. Um, Absolutely. And kind of tying this all into physical therapy students, uh, I like to think of what's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. And uh, I think I myself kind of fall victim to this different times is we think we know a lot about something. You know, we just finish up a semester. We had, you know, thousands and thousands of slides, all kinds of information on this, that, and the other thing. And we feel really good, really confident about that knowledge, which is great. And then we get out in the clinic, we get out and, you know, any kind of real physical therapy setting, inpatient, outpatient, home health, whatever, we start to kind of get our hands a little bit dirty. And we start to realize we don't always know as much as we think we do. Uh, so we kind of get that little gut check that sometimes you don't know quite as much as you think you do. And learning is a never ending process. And you're always going to be picking up new ways to do things, new uh, examples, just constantly learning. It's a lifelong process. It's not a, okay, I got my degree. I got my certification. I know what I'm doing now. Oh my goodness. I am learning all the time. Um, and, you know, that opportunity for learning can come from so many different places. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've, I've been working with, uh, those with say Parkinson's for over 20 years mm -hmm. and uh, you know an OT student uh, just this past week uh, taught me something that I that I had kind of over the years dismissed because some things work with some people with just because you have one diagnosis uh, mm -hmm. doesn't mean that there's a treatment technique that works for all people with that diagnosis Yep. So for this one individual, um, something she tried worked very well. And it's not that I thought it would never work. It's just that, you know, statistically, it doesn't really work a, uh, hardly ever. Yep. Um, but, you know, she had the foresight and, you know, I talked, uh, I talked earlier about experimenting 
and she tried it and it worked. And I was just so grateful um, mm -hmm. that, that she did that because it really helped the patient. And so, as I mentioned earlier, I stole that. I, I took that information yep. uh, and, and, and I used it um, and I thanked her for it as well. Uh, so I'm constantly learning from a number of different areas. Yeah, definitely. I've, uh, I've kind of had something similar actually this past week. Um, we get a lot of patients in outpatient ortho who have lumbar radiculopathy. So pain that kind of radiates from their lower back down the leg. And my CI does a ton of lumbar traction, just manual lumbar traction. And I remember in school, we looked at the research extensively. We looked at the clinical practice guidelines. Pretty much everything said, don't do lumbar traction. It doesn't really make a difference. But then we get in the clinic, you do five minutes of lumbar traction on someone and their pain levels reduce, their self-reported pain levels. They feel a lot better. They start to move a lot better. So it's kind of one of those things where the research and the book knowledge doesn't always hold up to the in-person hands-on kind of application. And sometimes you kind of need to put that aside a little bit and start looking more at what the patient in front of you presents with and what you're doing that makes a difference for them, because that's not always going to be what held up in the research. We absolutely need to use research as a guide. Yep. Um, however, at the end of the day, you know, I, I, I tell my patients, you know, your goals are my goals and, um, you know, whatever works for them, you know, I'm, you know, I'm cool with that. Mm -hmm. You know, let's, let's, let's figure out a way to, to help you get better. So, yeah, for sure. Um, do you have any other advice for physical therapy students? I think for physical therapy students or, you know, anyone, um, you know, and we touched on this before, you got to work hard, mm. you gotta work hard. Um, you know, in, in the therapies, you also have to genuinely care. You can't just punch a clock. Yep. You know, these people are coming to you. Some of these patients are coming to you and they might be more down now than they've ever been in their lives. And so, you know, it's a, it's a huge opportunity for us to help people. And you have to work hard, genuinely care. And then I think the third thing is you have to pay attention because if you're just punching the clock and not paying attention and just doing the same thing with every patient, um, then you're really doing them and yourself a disservice because again, you, there's an opportunity there that you're not capitalizing on. If you don't pay attention, you're gonna miss something. And if you miss something, then you're not helping to the fullest capacity or, you know, there's an opportunity someone might get hurt. So working hard, genuinely caring and paying attention would, would be my advice for students. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. That sounds, uh, that sounds spot on. Um, how about for patients? So for a patient with some kind of neurological disorder, whether it's stroke, spinal cord injury, Parkinson's, uh, dementia, whatever, what kind of advice would you offer to a, uh, to a patient like that? What would you kind of advise them to do outside of go to physical therapy and follow their, uh, follow their medical advice? 
It's a tough one for me to answer because, you know, fortunately I haven't been in that situation. However, um, in talking with those who um, have had neurological impairments, you know, it's, it's real easy to get down. Um, you know, when your body doesn't work the way it used to, um, and people can have a high degree of anxiety and some depression. And those things together can lead to, or individually can lead to uh, a sedentary lifestyle, mm -hmm. uh, which we know is not beneficial. Um, finding something that fuels them, yep. um, be it a, a, a grandkid or, um, or whatever it is that fuels them and to use that as a motivation. They, they have to be internally motivated in, in some regard. Um, yeah, that, that, no, that's for sure. off the top of my head, that's, that's my thought. That, uh, that makes me think of, uh, I just made a new acquaintance the other day with uh, Dr. Megan Road, who is incredibly impressive. And I really hope to have her on the uh, podcast at some point here. Um, but she was talking about the benefits for individuals with um, addiction problems. So maybe it's a drug addiction, maybe it's uh, a porn addiction, whatever destructive okay. behavior they're addicted to, and the benefits of group fitness uh, for that population, whether it be CrossFit or some other type of high intensity uh, training in a group setting. So getting people addicted instead of a destructive behavior to something a little bit more constructive. And when you were just talking about that, that just kind of made me think back to uh, when her and I were discussing that. And it just kind of made the light bulb go off in my mind that, you know, we really need to find what gets people motivated, what makes people physically, mentally, and emotionally better and find how we can kind of get them I'll use the term addicted to it. So whether it's, you know, some kind of running or endurance activity, uh, I know people who are addicted to Ironmans, triathlons, uh, mountain biking, you name it. And, you know, we're talking about the patients with neurological disorders in this uh, kind of week, this podcast series, but that doesn't mean that they, just because they have that disorder doesn't mean they can't do those things. There's plenty of adaptive equipment out there anymore. And if they have the kind of desire and the drive to make something like that a reality, they can do it. And I think a lot of times we often discount that and kind of let, let their diagnosis kind of take over, so to speak. And we don't always know what options are available for them. We don't tell them, hey, look, if you want to be able to ski, you can ski. If you want to be able to go biking, you can bike and kind of empower them a little bit more. Uh, you know, you mentioned group work, and I think that's really, really important. It's mm -hmm. uh, becoming more and more popular, whether it's, you know, in the gym or, you know, via, uh, remotely, you know, things like Peloton. I think, uh, I think that's, that's really an area that, that's helped a lot of people. As, as far as, you know, those with neurological impairments, you know, doing activities, I think, you know, there's a, there's a whole gamut of uh, impairments and what people can do. Um, but if they are motivated for those things, uh, I wholeheartedly encourage people to, 
you know, think outside the box and, uh, you know, try new things. Um, absolutely. For sure. So with that, that's going to do it for this first episode this week. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us and for your time. On the next episode, Kevin and I are going to be discussing neuromuscular fitness and neuroplasticity, kind of a 10 cent word that's going around lately. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss that. Otherwise, we'll see you then. Thanks for listening.